Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome into another edition of the Nick Bob podcast. Appreciate everyone that is taking the time out to listen, subscribe to the pod, all that good stuff. Really had a blast on the last episode. That was the uh, mailbag wine podcast with Bo Rude. It was fantastic. I was moving a little slow the next day after crushing a, a, a bottle a bottle of wine, half of a second bottle. But I can't wait to do that again. Again, we are we're just getting started with this uh, with this pod. And uh, basketball, college basketball, just around the corner. Cannot wait to talk a little Creighton, a little Nebraska, all that stuff. But obviously everyone is still in football mode. So I want to get to a few things before I set up uh, the guest of the day, former Husker wide receiver Todd Peterson. Uh, It was a really interesting conversation with him. But we got to start with uh, Maurice Washington. And this, this Maurice Washington situation is just sad and frustrating on so many different levels. So Scott Frost announced uh, that Maurice is no longer with the team. And while he left the door slightly open for kind of the long term of what this could be, I'd say the writing's pretty much on the wall that Maurice Washington's off the team and he's more than likely never going to play another down at Nebraska. And I I don't – who totally knows what was going on behind the scenes? He apparently wasn't taking care of his responsibilities. He wasn't consistently uh, following the rules, whatever. Uh, but he, here's the thing with when you when you really take a step back and look at this Maurice Washington situation, he's he's a guy that's been a handful from the jump. He had issues in high school. He he was expelled, if I'm not mistaken, from his uh, his high school as a senior, and Nebraska hung with him. And not only did they hang with him, they really helped to make sure that he graduated in the summer so he could make it to campus on time which he did basically two days before fall camp started last year. And so there was that. Then there was the legal issue in California, faced a felony charge. Nebraska hung with him, stood by him, even helped him with that. And that's still ongoing. And then there was this summer being cited for drug paraphernalia. Uh, and you know it's just been one thing after another, after another, after another. And the, the bottom line is this, and you could tell when, when – Frost talked about it in the in the presser. Scott Frost tried with Maurice Washington. He he really did. Ne- Nebraska, the staff, Scott Frost, they have gone above and beyond for this dude in a variety of ways. And at some point, that has to get reciprocated. Maurice Washington has to kind of meet him halfway. And by all accounts, that didn't happen or wasn't happening. Again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. All you can go off of is what you read, what you kind of absorb, what you can kind of discern, reading body language, different stuff like that. And at some point, enough is enough. And it sounds like Scott Frost had has had enough. So it appears like Mo Washington is no more. And you know, these sorts of situations can wear on a team way more than people think. 
when you are busting your ass and doing the right thing and going to class and being on time and sacrificing a ton and someone else isn't, that can wear on a team. Don't kid yourself. Especially when that person is a fairly important dude on the team, like Maurice Washington is, one of the best, if not the most, he's one of the more talented offensive players on the team. I I can wear on a team. I I remember at Kansas, and it was my my freshman year, and we had a guy. I don't want to, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to bus roll him too much, but we we had a guy on the team. And this dude, he was just consistently not doing the right thing. Weed, missing class, late for practice, missing weights, all that stuff. And I'm telling you, it wore on everyone. It wore on all of us. And the hard part is, is we all like this guy. We like, I mean, when he was around, good dude. And we knew he was really important to our team. But he just wasn't doing what everyone else was doing. And when, when, that, when that happens, that's a problem. And there hits a point where that's a big issue for the coaching staff, for the team, for everyone. And I remember it just, it, it kind of came to a head. And Coach Self let us vote on whether we would kick him off the team or not. Swear to God, I'll never get, Coach Self was in the locker room. He said, all right, guys, we all know the situation with, you know, this guy, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shut the door, and you guys can talk about it amongst yourselves, and it's up to you. If you guys want him off the team, I'll support that. If you want him on the team, we'll try to do our best to work through whatever issues so he can shape up and be and be all in on this thing. And he then walked out of the locker room, and it was one of the most spirited locker room conversations I've ever been a part of. Now, after about 20, 30 minutes of of arguing and talking and all that stuff, ultimately we decided to keep this guy and keep him on the team. But bottom line is, that's a huge distraction. We're trying to focus on winning basketball games, all those things, and we're having to have have a meeting for 30 minutes and argue about whether this guy should be on the team or not. It's a distraction. It wore on the team. It did. And it appears like this Maurice Washington situation is very similar to me. He's not following the rules. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then you hear about him not even celebrating with his teammates after the Northwestern game-winning field goal. There just hits a point where enough is enough. So I think in some ways, removing him from from the team, while it's tough because he's one of Nebraska's most talented players, could be a good thing for morale. It could be. And and I'm the other thing with this too is, I'm just telling you. When there is a clear double standard for one player, that can rip a team apart too. When the rules don't apply to one guy, that's not good. So Frost, a coach who clearly is still in lay the foundation, lay the culture mode, talks about all this stuff, representing Nebraska, doing the right thing, following the rules, day-to-day habits, all that stuff. He preaches that. He talks that talk. Well, then he better walk that walk. And I think this was a fairly big moment where the rest of the team can was watching. And the rest of the team can see, oh, oh, he means it. Oh, he's serious about all that stuff. Because again, players aren't dumb. They know when, when stuff is cheap talk and when stuff is real. 
and and few things will puncture the foundation of what you're trying to build more than when the rules don't apply to everyone or when you you act like you have a handful of things that are non-negotiable and they only apply to some people and not others that that's what early on in a coaching tenure when you're trying to establish things and there are still a lot of young guys on this roster they're all watching this they're all watching so again, while this Maurice Washington situation is about one guy, Maurice Washington, it's also about every other guy in that locker room watching how this whole thing was going to unfold as well. Don't underestimate that. So, I mean, it's just sad, man, because when you – and I'm sure a lot of people that are, are listening to this, if you're, if you're a little bit older, th- there's, there's nothing more frustrating than watching a, a, young, a, a young dude watching a college or a high school player just throw away a great opportunity. And that's what appear like appears like is happening with Maurice Washington. Again, I don't know the specifics, but all I know is Nebraska has gone above and beyond for that dude from day one. Stood by him through legal stuff. Lots of teams would have bailed on him. Frost and those guys tried. They did. And, and you know what? You, you can try your best to save a kid, but at the end of the day, a kid has to want to be saved, you know? And and given the way this staff has gone above and beyond to help him, I think it's pretty clear that Maurice Washington was not willing to meet them halfway on a handful of things. I hope he wakes up. I hope he figures it out. I wish Maurice Washington the best, and we'll see what shakes out with his future, but it doesn't look like Nebraska is in that future. And so, obviously, given the, the Wandale Robinson health situation, the Adrian Martinez health situation, this, this hurts. I mean, Nebraska's running out of bullets in their offensive gun right now. I mean, he's Maurice Washington, really talented kid. But I will say this. I, I will say this. So, we, we've watched Maurice Washington play for 19 games now. I, I think it's safe to say that I think Maurice Washington was a luxury, not a necessity. I, I think it's be, become clear that Washington, he can't be an every-down running back in the Big Ten. He can't. Running him between the tackles, he's not, he, he's, he's not a tough enough runner. He's too small. He's too, he, he, he gets banged up too easy. It's just, he's not an every-down running back in the Big Ten. And ultimately, for you to be important and vital, you got to be dependable. And dependable goes in a lot of different ways that you're going to stay healthy and that you're going to do the right things Monday through Friday off the football field. And I just don't know if Maurice Washington was ever going to be a guy that they could depend on. Again, it hurts, but do I think Maurice Washington was the difference between Nebraska getting it back and raising a championship banner in the next couple of years or not? I personally don't. Again, good player. But I, I don't I don't necessarily view him like that. And speaking of Nebraska getting it back or not, it's interesting. So Nebraska obviously has got five games left, and here they sit at four and three. And this doesn't this feel like the first pseudo legit crisis Scott Frost has faced since arriving at Nebraska? And crisis probably isn't the right word, but you get my point. I mean, even last year, last year was like a. I don't want to say it was a big pass, but I mean, I don't know. You guys remember how it felt around here with when Nebraska started 0-6, and then you compare how it feels at 4-3. and It feels way more, whoa, right now than it did last year. You kind of get my point. Scott Frost is facing a little pressure, a little scrutiny. And my analogy 
last week talking to Schick was, you know when you when you order things, Amazon, whatever, you, you can track your package? Yeah, you can do that. You can hop online, track your package. You know the final destination. You know it will eventually get to your house. But it's still nice to check on where it's at, right? Okay, nice. It's in, it's in Florida. Now it's in Charlotte. Now it's in Indianapolis. It's nice to track and see the progress that it's getting closer. That is Nebraska right now. I think the majority of fans trust that the package will arrive at Memorial Stadium. But they just want to see progress and that it's getting closer. And the frustrating part about this year is that package doesn't feel like it's getting closer. But these final five games can alter that quite a bit in all reality. If Nebraska finishes the year strong, let's say wins four of their next five, even three of their next five and wins a bowl game, whatever, that package will feel like it's moved closer. Dirk wrote about this, and it's so true. I mean, kind of like Bo Pelini in year two of 2009. They were sitting at four and three. They had lost two straight. They got rocked by Texas Tech at home, and then they lost one of the most bizarre football games I've ever seen, losing at home to Iowa State 9-7, where they had eight turnovers. But at, after that point, Nebraska finished the year strong. They finished 6-1 and one down the stretch, won the Holiday Bowl, crushing Arizona, and everyone felt great about where things were going into year three. So while I... I I think we all see that this is going to take a little longer than we initially thought. That doesn't render the meantime meaningless. Because that is the thing. Like everybody's like, well, they clearly this is going to take a long time. Well, that doesn't mean that you just, you, you know, you, you st- you, it doesn't matter. Because you, there usually is a climb to the top. You typically don't go from four wins, four wins, five wins, 11 wins, win the Big Ten. You know what I mean? You, you, that's not usually how it works. There usually is a tangible climb in wins and an intangible climb with how it looks. So while we all can acknowledge and say, yeah, you know what, this is probably going to take a little longer than we all thought. These That doesn't render the rest of the season in, it, it, meaningless, right? These five games still matter on some level. And for Nebraska to finish strong, we can put it all on Frost and the staff. And listen, they are the coaches. So I get that. But you know what the, the reality of the deal is? I was thinking about this a lot during the bye week. The reality of the deal is, ultimately, a lot of this is on the players. It really is. Sure, the coaches can maybe tweak a few things. And again, they are the ones that are in, that are in charge. But man, at and maybe this is where I can't shake former player mode. At some point, the players, they are the ones that have to strap on their helmet, come together, fight, and find a way. And I think for as much as people want to make these final five games a referendum on Scott Frost's coaching ability, I think a lot of it is a referendum on a handful of these players that have been here for a while. Mo Berry, J.D. Spielman, Lamar Jackson, the Davis Twins, Darian Daniels, Adrian Martinez, if he's healthy. Success and winning doesn't just happen. You got to go make it happen. What kind of pride do these dudes have? What kind of competitive blood do these dudes got? 
See, this is why I really didn't like the Austin Allen quote after the Minnesota game saying, he, he said, quote, you know, we've been together since August 2nd. We've had fall camp in seven straight weeks. I think we just need to get away from each other for a bit. We get so locked up in this. If you get to relax sometimes, that helps. I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to relax. Get away from each other. Get, you need to get away. I mean, ugh, I. this is the time where you need to be tighter than ever. This isn't the time where you fray apart. This is the time where you you band together. So I didn't like that quote. Now, I don't want to be media member and do the whole thing of like blowing that stuff up. I didn't like that quote, though. And so I just I hope that isn't a window in how, into how the whole team feels because that doesn't sound like a team that's going to finish strong to me. But we'll see. But I just, again, I think a lot of this is on the players. That's not to totally let Scott Frost and staff off the hook. They still got to go coach. They still got to navigate. They still got to potentially tweak a few things, in particular on offense with some of the injuries and obviously the, the Maurice Washington not being a part of the equation. I'm just saying at some point, these players got to go make it happen. At some point, these dudes got to go change it. They got to go find a way to win. So I'm excited to see what kind of fight these guys show. And if Husker fans want to track that package and see that it's getting closer, these next five games, but in particular, these next two weeks are enormous. You got Indiana at home. And then you got a banged up, beat up Purdue team on the road. Win these two, you secure a bowl trip, then go swing away for the final three games with Wisconsin, Maryland, and Iowa. But but it starts with these next two weeks. They are huge. Absolutely huge. All right, my guest for the day, I, I, I wanted to find a guy that was a great wide receiver at Nebraska that could speak to a few things. That position uh, was a guy that was a deep threat, uh, a guy that kind of had to grind his way into being one of the one of the the better wide receivers, not only in the, the Big 12 at the time, but you, know, you, you look at the record books, he's one of the better wide receivers at Nebraska. A guy that also had to endure a coaching change. Perfect guy to talk to was Todd Peterson. And there just are so many different things that he can speak to that Nebraska's dealing with right now. Got a coaching change. You're, you're hitting a little adversity. And as we've kind of talked about a ton throughout the, the season, the, the Nebraska feels like they got a wide receiver issue. They don't have a lot of guys that are making plays outside of Wondell Robinson and J.D. Spielman. They don't have anybody that has uh, is a deep threat. They got an abundance of guys that haven't settled in and and – mark their their presence on the Nebraska football program and I, I just thought you know what we got to talk to a guy that can speak to a lot of those things and it, it was a really good conversation with Todd Peterson you guys are really going to enjoy this he he hit on a lot of interesting things Todd finished his career uh top five in receptions and yards he had 108 catches 1,602 yards and 13 touchdowns he played from 2004 to 2008 uh th- this was this was great you guys are really going to enjoy this. So here is my chat with former Nebraska wide receiver, Todd Peterson. 
Well, on the line right now is uh, a man from uh, Grand Island, uh, number 17 in the program's number one in our hearts. He's Todd Peterson and uh, former wide receiver. A lot of things to talk about. I want to start with this, Todd. So you could have a you could have your very first baby at any minute right now. Like by the time this podcast is posted and people are listening to it, this baby will be born. How are you feeling? Just waiting right now. Uh, terrified. Never been more scared of anything in my life. <laughs> no, number of number of diapers you have changed in your life up until this point. Ooh, I would say like three and a half, but Ooh. never a full one by myself. <laughs> you had so assistance. I've like helped out, but I've never gone like complete game. Yeah, without an assist. I mine was <laughs> mine was I had a I had a career of zero diapers changed when my daughter was born. So. Uh, you, you'll be you are if you are at three and a half, you are three and a half more than I I had at the at the time of my. I uh, I literally was talking with uh, Sean Hill, who was a tight end, uh, year older than me today, and I asked him like, "How do you change a diaper?" He's like, "Ah, don't worry about it, man. Like by the time you're two weeks in, it'll be like." Pit crew on the NASCAR. That's you'll what be, it you'll is. be doing it, no problem. That's what it is. The very first diaper I ever changed was. It, so in the hospital and the nurse was like watching me and I, for some reason, <laughs> I missed the opportunity to explain that to the nurse that this was my first time. So I think she, you know, in her mind, then she was like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. And it would became abundantly clear that I had no idea what I was doing. And this was the only time that I literally, as I was changing my daughter's diaper, she pooped like simultaneously as I opened the diaper. So it was a, it was a rough first diaper change for me. So you're, I just, I think your whole situation is going to be a lot better than mine, Todd. Yeah, just get you. It's, sometimes it's good just to get that bad one out of the gate right away. So you know, <laughs> only up from there. Absolutely. Uh, so, because you could get the call at any moment, let's not waste any time. Speaking of uh, yeah. speaking of babies. Real quick, I read, so I fired up the old Google machine, uh, Todd Peterson today, and was just, I mean, I am immersed in your life right now, my friend. And there was a quote from your, it was your mom and even your dad too, and even you admitted it, that you were a, you were a self-proclaimed crybaby growing up in sports. <laughs> you care to elaborate on that? Absolutely. Uh, you can ask uh, Johnny Dorn, great Nebraska yep. baseball player. I played with him growing up. Uh, I was in tears pretty much any time I got out on the football or on the baseball field, which, you know, like that's just a sport of failure. Yes. And I just figured out right away that that was not for me. So <laughs> I eventually outgrew the tears, but there were a lot of them out on baseball. Fields. That is, that's hilarious. I want to, I, I want to go down memory lane with your football career, not only because it's a really good one, but I think there are a lot of things with your career that are applicable right now to the current situation at Nebraska, whether it's the wide receiver situation or a team in the midst of a coaching change, hitting a little bit of adversity and, and overcoming it. So what people need to understand is, you, I mean, you were a baller, man. I mean, you finished your career top five in school history in, in receptions and yards, 108 catches, 1,602 yards, 13 touchdowns from 2004 to 2008. You were a walk-on at a Grand Island Central Catholic. I read a quote from your dad also in saying that he, he just hoped that you'd make the travel roster at some point. So clearly your dad setting the bar high for you. Todd. What, what, what was your, okay. So that's your dad's expectation level. When you arrived in Lincoln, Nebraska, now you redshirted your first year, but what was your expectation or goal when you showed up as a walk-on? Uh, initially it was really just to, 
to try and get on the field with some special teams uh, type of things. Um, I think I, I, I got lucky in coming in right in the transition from a traditional run heavy offense into, you know, West coast to where we just didn't have a lot of wide receiver depth at the time. Um, so that definitely sped the process along, but I, I think I, you know, got to know a lot of the other walk-ons that were small town Nebraska kids and, and they took a lot of pride in the, the special team stuff. And that was kind of where I figured I'd start. And it just really accelerated a lot faster than I thought it yeah. would. Well, your first two catches went for touchdowns in 2005, <laughs> redshirt freshman year. So I'd imagine it, when did, when did the moment click for you of like, oh, I'm more than just a travel roster gunner on special teams type thing? You know, like, I can really do this and play. Was it when you first two touchdowns? Was it in practice before? When did, the, when did it click like, hey, man, I can play at this level? You know, I, I started to recognize in practice and um, honestly in some like summer conditioning drills, which is kind of an interesting topic to get to the team now, like, I came in, as you mentioned, out of Central Catholic in Grand Island, which we were much more of a basketball school than a football school. Yeah. And, and our basketball program was, you know, built on hard work, teamwork, camaraderie. Like I was no stranger to working hard in high school. And I got into some of those summer conditioning drills and some of these other things and, and got to see some of these guys who were, you know, more highly touted recruits. And, and you kind of come in with that chip on your shoulder as a walk on and you're comparing yourself to, some of these guys and and I realized that a lot of them had had everything just come so easy to them up until that point that I just knew I could get a an advantage or an edge in the way I approached things and how hard I worked right. and that kind of gave me the confidence and practice that hey I can I can play with these guys and um I, I didn't really that first catch, if you back and watch the film on it, I got absolutely rocked at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> and Zach Taylor just like was scrambling around and heaves it to me. It wasn't a good route or anything. Like <laughs> Ted Gilmore, our wide receivers coach, just played the tape and just kind of looked at me and shook his head. And he's just like, man, nice catch. But other than that, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot in that play you did well. Right. So right. it was one of those things. The, the second catch was a little better route. It was a nice corner route from Zach Taylor. And in that game, I got like two or three other receptions. I was like, hey, man, I think I can do this. There, For you, was because there's a lot of when you're a walk on, you got to earn a lot of people's trust. You got to earn the coach's mm-hmm. trust, your teammates' trust, but you also got to earn your quarterback's trust. Like, when did you feel like, hey, Zach? Taylor believes in me. And then ultimately Joe Gans believes in me. Was that all something that is all that done in the preseason in practices and all those things? Or is that something that really has to get done in a game before a quarterback really goes, I, I can trust, I know where Todd's going to be. I can trust he's going to be there. I think there's different levels of that. I think you can earn a lot of that in practice to earn kind of the opportunities in games. But I do think there's, there's still a separate level where you you got to prove you can do it in a game in front of ninety thousand people, right? And and that is a very different environment, and it's it takes a different mental makeup to be able to block all of that out and focus enough to to not let that get in your head and change things. And, and it still does. I remember my junior year, I got just a case of the drops, and I probably had five or six catches in a row just go right off my hands, and like. I knew I had to just the next week it was after Missouri and I think we got our teeth kicked in down in Columbia and I grabbed 
I think actually Sam Keller at the time. And like, I was like, let's just go out early and I'm just going to run as many routes as fast as I can, like no rest. And I just want you firing balls at me. Cause I got to stop thinking about it right. and just doing it. And, and so it's, it's a, a process to, to get that confidence, not only from your quarterback, but then yourself and to keep it and go through all those things. Like, and, and you're going to have ebbs and flows, but there's a level to get it in practice to, to right. know that you can do these things. And there's a level to be like, okay, when, when the lights are on, he's still going to be able to do the same things he does in practice. Yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, cause I think clearly the, I think what you're kind of getting to is the quarterback wide receiver, not only trust, but chemistry. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with this year, I think it's pretty clear that Martinez misses Stanley Morgan and, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to ask you about what goes into that trust and chemistry because I mean I'd imagine moments like that are important. But when when yeah. when people on the outside talk about boy that chemistry between that wide receiver and quarterback, what does that mean to you when you think back on your career with chemistry with different quarterbacks that you had? I think it's knowing a little bit about other players' strengths and weaknesses, and I think one of the things. You know, when you ask me to come on and talk about this, I, I get to thinking of, you know, what are, what do we have at wide receiver and what are we missing and what did Stanley have that, that doesn't seem to be there this year? And everybody goes to size of wide receivers. And, yeah. you know, I'm 6'4 and I still joke on Twitter with, with some reporters about my height and do they need <laughs> a tall receiver? But what, what quarterbacks really love from a wide receiver is a wide receiver with a catch radius. And yeah. like, someone that can go up and get balls or um, can make catches in traffic and, and can make their lives easier to where they know if they don't have pinpoint accuracy or, or if there is a defender draped on you or near you, I can back shoulder it three yards behind him and he can adjust and still make me look good. Like right. there's an element to that that I think helps quarterbacks know when they can and can't take a shot or if, if you're trying to lock something over the the second level of the defense and get it underneath the safeties, like I know I can just put it in that space and he'll go get it or he'll be able to adjust to it. And I think that's some of what we're struggling with, with some of the guys, you know, JD and Wandell are amazing athletes, but they're not real big. Mm-hmm. And that, that not having the radius, you know, they're, they're shifty enough. And, and I was always taught there's kind of two different types of receivers, unless you're Calvin Johnson and you're both. Yeah. Um, is you're either big and you can make plays in traffic and you don't have to get that much separation or you're small and shifty and you need to find ways to create space for yourself and for the quarterback to, to put a window in there. And, and I don't think we have as many guys right now that can create that contested catch as, as right. well as Stanley did last year. Yeah, what what? Because I think you're. I wanted to ask you about you were a, you were a, a guy that could take the top off a of defense. You were a, a deep threat, and it, it be because I think that's something that is is a clearly an issue with with the team right now. It's no one that can can really really uh, pose to pose a deep threat. What what's the key to being good at that? Because it can't just be about speed. You know what I mean? Like Jerron Woodyard, yeah. for example. That guy's fast. You know, I mean, you get it. You you yep. let him just run. He's going to be able to run past guys. But talk me through a little bit what goes into being a good deep threat guy because that's something that I think this offense needs. Yeah, I, I think there's there's different elements to that, and and the the finer elements of route running and and, and some of those things. And like, listen, I don't have the end zone cut ups to like 
be able to sit there and dissect who sure. on the team now is really doing a good job and who isn't. Um, but it's not only creating space for yourself, but creating space for the quarterback, whether you're running just a straight go route. You know, we always talked about keeping your box, which is the amount of space between you and the sideline so that your quarterback can drop that in. If you're getting pinched down from, you know, the numbers to about three yards from the sideline, your quarterback has no window to put a ball in there. Um, if you if you can keep seven or eight yards there and keep that DB squeezed away from the sideline, then he can drop it in between you and the sideline and you've got room to work with. Um, there's things like that in, in defining the top of your routes on a post or a, a, a flag route or a corner route or whatever it is you're doing. If you can define those things, you can create more separation, even if you're not a burner. I think... I don't know if anyone's ever said I could take the top off a of defense before, so I appreciate that. But <laughs> I could find ways to to keep myself open on some of those routes, and then sometimes I just got forgot about because I was so slow, and then I could make long runs after catch. Humble, the, I like humble right yeah. now. A humble, soon to be father, Todd Peterson here. That's that's this is good. What with uh, I guess what are you seeing? Let, let's back up for a second. What are are you? What are you seeing with the offense? Because, I mean, I think clearly it's not just – I mean, the statistics back it up. It felt like this offense was ready to explode last year. Uh, and then for whatever reason, there are probably a lot of different things people can point to. Th- this offense has kind of sputtered a little bit. What, what, are, what are you seeing when you diagnose this offense right now? What stands out? I mean, there are issues with – it seems like timing and trust and some of those things going on. Um, without calling out any groups or people sure. or anything like that. It, it it seems like Adrian doesn't look as comfortable as he did last year. Um, and, and I don't think there's any often talent or decision-making or anything like that for him. He's a good player. It's just, it makes it hard when um, you don't know where the ball is going to be, where your receivers are going to be. There's, there are a couple instances early in the season in the first four or five games where you know, he'd be throwing a ball down the field and it looked like there were two receivers within three to five yards of each other. Yeah. And I don't know the first thing about cross offense, um, but that can't be a designed thing. Like right. that's just the spread is predicated. Everything I've ever known, having never really played in one is predicated on spacing. And there's always going to be adjustments based on coverage. You know, if you're running a deep cross and it's middle open or middle close, that changes where your aiming point may be. But if two guys aren't on the same page with those adjustments, whether it's just two receivers, that can really make things hard on a quarterback because, you know, he may see a safety in a certain position and he thinks, okay, I've got to go to JD. Well, JD's where he's supposed to be, but someone else isn't. And then some two people are, or one defender can be covering both of them and he's in trouble. And, yeah. and it seems like a lot of little things like that are just not quite clicking and it's creating a lot of havoc in this offense yeah you know it's since frost has arrived i looked this up a couple weeks ago they've signed 12 wide receivers so i mean it's it's mm-hmm. not that they haven't tried to go f- remedy that spot mm-hmm. but for whatever reason a lot of these guys haven't been able to show up on saturdays w- what's that world like todd because you've been there you've been a guy before you really solidified yourself and settled in what do you think a lot of those guys are going through Monday through Friday right now, knowing that they haven't been able to settle in, make plays in a game, and they got to find a way to get do whatever they need to do on Monday through Friday to show up on Saturday? What, what do you think that's like for those dudes? 
I, I think again, there, there's times where it can be hard for um, guys kind of transitioning from high school to college. Cause there's, there's a lot, I would say that, and I don't know, I didn't last very long in the NFL. I signed with Jacksonville and got cut before I ever played a regular season game. But in my opinion, the, the jump in the detail of the game was much higher from high school to college than it was from college to the NFL. Mm. And, you know, maybe that's because I played in an NFL style offense. And one of my advantages to getting on the field was being able to learn a lot of the offense, remember a lot of different positions and some of those things. But the, the detail of splits, I mean, where you line up on the field in one position, like, that was something I never even thought about in high school. It's like, okay, I'm the X. I'm going to go line up the same spot every time. Well, now are you in the boundary? Are you to the field? What's your route concept? Is there a, a route with the running back where he's running out on a swing? So you've got to be tight. Like there's a lot of things like that that you just never had to think about in high school because you were faster than everybody. Right. So those things can create learning pains. And then, when you when you're thinking you're you're not very fast when when you've got to be like okay where am I at here and okay what's this cornerback doing what's the safety doing how do I adjust like whoop the ball was snapped I'm supposed to be gone by now like that makes things hard right um so there are a lot of there are a lot of things that can slow down that process and I know fans and people get frustrated because wide receiver is one of the areas where you'll sometimes see a freshman come in and be really good right away. But usually I would say those players are at really polished high school levels where they're learning a lot of that stuff already. And that can be give or take depending where the players are coming from. Yeah, because Frost had a quote, gosh, I can't remember what, it was one of the first three or four games. He he had a line where he said, I can't scheme guys open. Mm -hmm. As a wide receiver, what what does that mean to you? When, when you hear a coach say that, because a lot of it, a lot, a lot of this sometimes comes down to like, you just got to be able to win one-on-one or you got to be able to get open. I know it's not that simple, but it's also not that complicated too. What does that mean when you, you hear, I can't scheme guys open? Uh, I think I go back to definition and, and definition and the details of, you know, your alignment, your, your assignment, and then your route running. And, and you know, what, coaches are usually trying to scheme is to get you in a matchup that's favorable for you. So you're still going to be guarded, but guarded maybe by a linebacker or someone that you can beat, or, you know, you're, you're our stud receiver. You you're one-on-one with a DB. That's all I can give you is you've just got one guy. You still got to beat him. And, and there's no way that they can just, you know, sneak someone out on the field and be like, oh, they didn't see JD. He's going to be wide open. <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah. it's still up to you to define a route and, run it well enough that you can get whatever you need to get to get that ball thrown to you. And, and, and even if you do your job perfectly, then there's still got to be timing and other things going on with the other 10 guys on the field. And sure. it's, it's, it's so easy in football to have one mistake completely make a play look like it is just never going to work. And it was the closest thing in the world to doing it exactly how you drew it up, yeah. but you don't get a second chance. No. Do you think, by the way, to go back to, you know, you joked about, uh, you know, with different reporters that need bigger wide receivers. I mean, is that a thing? I mean, I think one of the things that's that's interesting is there are a lot of small guys on the field right now, uh, in particular at the wideout spot. I mean, does 
is is this something that needs to get looked at if you're Frost and Troy Walters and like finding some bigger bodied guys? Because Stanley was a big guy. Yeah, I, I think they are. I think uh, just through some things, either recruiting misses or recruits come in and it doesn't work. Like I, I, I think they put such a premium on length. If you look at some of their recruiting classes, just the difference in height overall, I think they would say candidly off the record. Yeah, of course we want some taller guys, yeah. we're, but we're not going to go get a six, four kid who can't run or catch. If we've got a five ten kid, that's a great athlete. Like right. I, I think there's, there's obviously, I if they said, you know, Calvin Johnson's going to walk in the room. Yeah, I want that guy. But like, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's kind of doing the best with what they've got. And I think they've got some kids there that can be good, but it, it's still, right. um, it, it still takes some time to develop that. Um, you know, what's, you were a guy that was involved with the coaching change, uh, when, when Bo Pelini came in. And uh, you guys were obviously put up really good numbers that year offensively, and you go on to win nine games and beat Clemson in the bowl game. I, I want to go back to to that moment for a little bit because I think there's some things that I want to talk about with with now 2019. Did did the coaching change click right away for everyone? Like when Coach Pelini showed up, I know there was continuity on one side of the ball, which kind of helps in that regard. But was there was there buy in and 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 uh, just everything kind of clicking right away when Bo showed up? I think a lot of the guys liked Bo. Um, I think um, for the reputation Bo got, like he was, he, at least in the one year I was there, and I always tell people this because they always ask me, um, you know, I played offense and he had plenty of things to fix on the defense, so I never got the, the televised Bo pulling tongue lashing that everybody <laughs> thinks of him with. Right. Um, but he was great. Like he, he uh, I mean, he took me and Gans and Swifty uh, golfing after we were done. Like, I mean, that stuff. Yeah. God loved the guy before that. He would have never done that with us. Um, but it, I think that there was a lot of continuity in recruiting class. And, and what I look at is Gans and Swift and even to an extent, Marlon Lucky, you know, he wasn't in our class, but he didn't redshirt. A lot of guys had been there for four or five years and had played together. So we knew one another, even if the scheme changed a little bit, there's something to be said when there's continuity of players. And yes, we still had a couple offensive coaches stick around and that helped us a lot. Like those things, I don't think get valued as much as they maybe should. When you think about some of this stuff. And I know I've heard you and Bo talk about it on the pod where you're going back and looking at recruiting classes and guys just aren't there anymore. Right. And that changes things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just the truck, like, Knowing there is something too that knowing when adversity strikes, you know, like you knew what Swift was all about and you knew what Joe Gans was all about. Like you, you trusted those guys. They trusted you. And that seems like a little thing, but man, there's, there, there's a lot to that. And the other thing too, Todd was, it wasn't like when, when Bo showed up and you guys went on to win nine games in 2008, you guys were just one year removed from playing in the Big 12 championship in 2006. So, like, that's one thing I think people also need to remember, too, was, like, you guys had won a lot of games. Yeah, 2007 didn't go well, but it wasn't like winning was a totally foreign thing to you guys. Yeah, and, I mean, I was I registered in 2004, which was Barrett's senior year, and, and we went through that struggle there. Um, so we'd seen a little bit of both sides of the coin. And yeah. 
And my redshirt freshman year, we struggled through some times and we finished beating Michigan, which was a really good team. And, and I will say, even to this day, like they're like, I respect the difference of a Big Ten team versus what a Big 12 team was at that time. I remember getting on the field with Michigan and just thinking, these guys are monsters. Like, yeah. They are big. Because I, you can talk to Bo about this. I think Bo broke his arm before that game. Yes, he did. And I was his backup on uh, punt coverage. So, like, when they left, I was the wing on the punt, the punt team. So, basically, when they left their safety defense out there, I was going against their starting defense event. Oh, boy. And let's just say he could have ragdolled me into the Sam Cook all day if he wanted me to. <laughs> like, there were just some big boys out there. And, right. and that is a difference. And I think, um, I think probably Frost is coming to see that a little bit, maybe more than he thought when he first, you know, before he got into the league and saw some of those things, but like it does change things a little bit. Yeah. Well, and the reason I, the reason I want to talk about the coaching change, because again, you endured a few of them. So in, in 2005, you guys had lost three in a row before you won your final three games against Kansas state, Colorado, and then in the bowl game. And then even in 2008, Todd, you guys had we got our teeth kicked in at Oklahoma. Yes, we were down twenty-eight to nothing before. It, it, yeah, in a heartbeat. It seemed like they got the lights on at that. Yeah, like, you had lost three in a row there, and you were three and three, and you guys go on to rip off. You guys finish six and one, and win a bowl game. So you you can speak to take me take me back to that time because again, I think there could be some similar things happening right now in that locker room for that coaching staff, for those players where, you know, all of a sudden adversity struck here in year, year two, they're sitting at four and three. They got five games left. Things can, could sputter one direction or flourish in another direction and they could, they could finish strong. What do you remember about those times and allowing you guys to kind of right the ship and finish strong? I think a lot of it, especially in that 2008 season, comes down to the leadership and that senior class. And again, I think we were pretty close. And uh, it just it, we we saw the struggles of the year before in 2007. And I mean, we just had a buzzsaw of some really good teams, and it just fell apart. And I, I think we just kind of knew, if anything else, we could, we can't let that happen again. We got to keep fighting and going from there. And like, we just, we didn't want that to be the case. I mean, there were some good teams in the big 12 that year. And we, we still knew there was a lot out there for us to play, play for. Mm -hmm. um, and coming back to this season, like it's, there's some things that are concerning. And again, I, my only finger on the pulse of this team is message boards, which is a, a dangerous situation <laughs> yes, to get yes. into. Yeah. I work on a couple of those. Um, but like the, the quote um, that like we need to get away from. Yeah. Other, Austin Allen that makes that makes me a little wary. Yes. Like you don't have to all be best friends by any means. There's a lot of guys on that roster. You're not going to like everybody, but you got to be able to pull together and, and you know, who knows, maybe that, is taken completely out of context and that's not uh, a sign of what's going on in the locker room and some of those things. But that's, that's the only thing that makes me nervous at this point is I hope there's good enough chemistry on this team that they can still pull together and get some things done. Cause there's still a lot out there. For them. Yeah. No, I Todd, that, that quote caught my eye too. I, you know, and I, again, you don't want to, you know, take one quote and just, you know, explode it into a huge thing. But I thought, man, yeah. you're, you know, you're, you, we need to get away from each other. We need to break. 
I mean, at this yeah. point, you like if anything, you need to be coming together. Like you know, like this is when you need to. This is when your the the trust and the camaraderie has to has to shine through. Yeah, and I mean, go back to playing basketball. Like the the best team I was probably on my senior basketball. We were really good for class C. Yeah, and I mean, we would we'd go through just hellacious practices together in, in you know November or whenever we started practicing, and we all still wanted to go then hang out afterwards. And, and there's something to be said for that. Agree. When there's good camaraderie and you want to be around each other, um, and you need that to a certain extent. Again, not throughout the whole team, but in units, in position groups, offense, defense, special, like there needs to be some ability to, to work together and, and know that the guys next to you have your back. And, right. and, you know, there's maybe some other things going on. I know last year it seemed like there was some addition by subtraction. Yep. Hopefully some similar things are going on now and, and they can really go in the right direction towards the end and just um, finish it out on a good, on a good, uh, track to, to end things off yeah because you know i mean listen there are times you can be tight-knit and still get your teeth kicked in sometimes that happens yeah. you know what i mean that's sports but at the same time you know you look at that ohio state game you look at them in particular the minnesota game was way more kind of eyebrow raising where there, there needs to be an element of pride not only in yourself but kind of in your teammates and not you know and 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 not letting this thing totally fall apart and i'm with you i'm not so sure we we talk about all the the schematic adjustments that may or may not need to be made. But, man, the the one thing that if this team is going to finish strong, chemistry is probably going to have to be the thing that they lean on more than anything right now. And I'm with you. I think that's uh, that remains to be seen. That that really remains to be seen for this group. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's hard when a lot of different groups are struggling. I mean, there's a lot of places you can point fingers at different things right now. Yep. And it's just – does this team have the chemistry to say, and I, the, the thing I think that is a really good sign is Adrian on offense is probably better at this than anybody of saying, I don't care about the snaps. I don't care about the wide receivers. Yeah. I didn't do my job good. enough, mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of stress off of other people. Um, if he's saying that and meaning in, in that same way behind closed doors, that can set a really good example for everybody else. And it can, it can mend a lot of wounds and other things going on in there. If you've got a leader that's not going to call other people out and say, Hey, we're a team. We win and we lose as a team. Like that's, that will go a long way. It, it, Todd, the other thing too, and we don't need to get in cause I'm sure I want to talk about Maurice Washington for a second. And listen, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, uh, mm-hmm. but it was announced frost announced that uh, he's, he's not with the team right now. Uh, and the, the status of him long-term is a little bit up in the air. And uh, so I would say the, the, the all signs point to he's probably done. Did, did you did you have any guys that were that were just kind of always on the brink of getting axed, like in and out of trouble, suspended, always had some other things going on? Because like I, I think it's that, that stuff can wear on a team more than you think, especially when they're one of the kind of premier guys. Yeah, I think I struggle to think of anyone real, uh, a real good correlation off the top of my head. Uh, I'm sure there were similar things. I mean, there's, there's, um, you know, a hundred and yeah, I mean, someone fifteen <laughs> yeah. whatever back then. Yeah. There's going to be a couple guys like that, and you know, you just hope that Maurice is is able to do the things that are going to be good for him. But it, it can wear on a team, and it's just. 
it's unfortunate and you hope yep. for the best for everybody. But sometimes again, you, it's good. You, you want guys in there that are working hard and are about the team. Right. And I, that's not to say Maurice isn't, I don't know the first thing about that kid. Um, other than he's a good football player. So you, you just, you got to get in a team sport like that. It, it can be a tough situation to handle. And that's frankly, probably the hardest part of being a, a head football coach, I would imagine. Yeah. When do you cut bait? When do you hang with a guy? Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, I think even as a teammate, you know, it's like, you know, you never, no one wants to see their teammate kick to the curb, but at the same time, when, yeah. when all, you know, it's kind of when everybody, when everybody's doing the right thing and busting their ass and one guy isn't, after a while that gets old you know it it, yep. it really it really really does and so there's there's and, just and it's, yeah, go ahead it's why is this guy getting all yep. the the same things that i work for and he's not like that yep. nothing can sour the mood in the locker room faster amen uh a few last things will let you run but big picture how do you, how do you see this whole situation with with frost i mean i imagine you're a lot like me where i mean i'm fired up that he's back uh, you know, I think it's obviously not gone how all of us anticipated would go so far. That doesn't mean that it's not ultimately going to get to where we all think it will get to. I think one thing that's become abundantly clear, Todd, is that this isn't going to be a quick fix. This is going to be a, a, a little bit more of a, a long-term rebuild. But in the meantime, you still got to make progress. Uh, I guess, how do you size all that up with Frost here? Kind of a stub your toe out the gates, but still kind of excited about where this could go. I think there's a lot to be said for how he did get the offense working last year with a lot of guys that weren't his. I think the thing that helps me sleep easy, I guess, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but the thing that gives me the most confidence in this coaching staff is it seems pretty apparent that they know they've got to get better up front on both sides. And I think that there's nothing that, that can accelerate you better or derail you faster than if you can't compete on the line line of scrimmage. And I like their approach there of going and getting these kind of guys that are, uh, you know, young and have some growing to do, but they can mold in a way that they want. I think there's a lot of promise in in the fact that they've landed some recruits that are big time recruits and and they've got some other guys. I I heard, I want to say coach Duvall talk on, um, I don't know if it was a radio station or an interview or something, but they, or maybe it was even Dave Ellis, but they were talking about their recruiting approach and they've got to find ways to, you know, maybe get a guy that's a little bit younger for his class that got looked over because he wasn't fully physically matured yet. But those are things they've got to get creative with in the recruiting process because they're probably not going to go into Georgia land blue chip type guys. But I think they've got a plan for all of that, right. which makes me think if you give them some time, we're going to start to see more and more progress before I let you run Todd uh it's pretty crazy to think that both the quarterbacks you really caught passes from are both coaches right now I mean obviously Gans is at Youngstown State he's a QB's coach with with Bo there and then obviously Zach Taylor's the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals did you think like when you were with those two dudes did they strike you as like man these guys are are sharp guys that understand football at a high level that are going to coach yeah, I mean, I think they both had that um, capability. If you had told me at the time, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, that would surprise me by any means. You still, it's funny, my wife, um, who I never met until chiropractic school, so never knew me in my football playing days, 
will ask me like, did you ever want to coach? And I'm like, Oh no, way too much time. Like, <laughs> right. 80 hours a week watching film. You still got to have that bug, but those guys both, you know, and not just, it's harder as a quarterback wide receivers in particular, you can learn the bare minimum. You can learn where I got to line up and what route I have to run and my adjustments. But, right. um, those guys both knew exactly what was going on in the defense. And, and I, I chuckle because now it seems like everybody runs a spread, but I remember back when Kansas and Missouri were the first teams that would kind of get up to the line of scrimmage, stop and everybody looked at the sideline to the coaches for the adjustment. I'd be like, these quarterbacks don't know what the hell they're doing. (laughs) Zach and Joe can look at all that stuff and they know themselves what they need to do. Right. Um, Obviously both of those offenses turned out to be pretty okay. So maybe what do I know? Maybe that's why I'm not. (laughs) That's pretty good. uh, So before I, I say goodbye to you, you got it's it's so interesting knowing that you know so I've been friends with Bo my whole life he's my best friend Bo Rude and then to to see then you know how he got to to be buddies with all you guys and how you guys uh kind of how Bo landed to to all of you because he's a unique guy and you sent me a DM wanting to hear about Bo's super tasting abilities can do you want to explain how Bo Bo Rude claimed he was a super taster growing up so clearly he explained that to you at some point Todd because this is one of the more ridiculous Bo Rude things ever I think he used to live with uh, Andy Sand. Yep. I, I don't know. Apparently, Bo Root has more taste buds than the general population. <laughs> um, I've Googled it. Apparently, it is a thing. I don't know how you... I mean, I'm a fake pseudo-doctor as a chiropractor. I don't know how you uh, <laughs> quantify that type of thing. But it's, it's just one of those things that you hear from Bo Root and yes. never forget because it is just... Ridiculous. Typical bow. Typical yeah. bow. That's exactly right. Yeah, he was a uh, he. He. That's pretty much what it was. He thought he had more taste buds, but what's funny about that is, is he thought he had more taste buds, and therefore he couldn't eat as many like exotic foods because the taste was too strong or whatever. Like somehow it was funny that like it all ended up landing to him that he all he could eat is like eggo waffles, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and pizza. And you're like, okay, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Yep, because if I taste anything that's not incredibly bland, my brain will explode. <laughs> my brain will explode. Well, uh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying my best to get through these recap pods with Bo. I hope you uh, you can yeah. see all the hard work that I'm doing every week. I I enjoy them immensely. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. Todd Peterson, uh, Todd, this was awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. Best of luck with the birth of your child, and uh, we will let, let's do this again soon, my man. Absolutely, man. Have, thanks for having me. On. Thank you.